Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me, as always, is my producer, Kevin Black, and my co-host, Cole Miller. Cole, we are going to be leading off this podcast with a prospect who has taken the scouting world by storm. His name is Sharif Cooper, um, the Auburn guard who recently became eligible for the season um, at the beginning of January, and he has been a flamethrower for all kinds of stats. Um, I can't wait to dig into more of his game, but how are you doing this week, Cole? Are you ready to go through 16 through 20 on the big board? Uh, doing well. Great to be with you both, Kevin and Nate. Uh, but yeah, Sharif has been quite the eye-opener in his short time this, this college season. It's always nice to get a kid of his talent level dropped in our laps halfway through the year or you know, 40% through the weight. So, yeah, to pretty, to pretty much shake up the whole system, right? Yeah, I mean, he, and he absolutely has. We have him at 16 right now, but I think you and I both feel that he's not finished uh, moving up our boards and probably everybody else's board as well. So we should just get into him and, and let the people debate afterwards. Yeah, he's not done rising. Um, so that is exactly where we're going to start. That's what this podcast is, 16 through 20 on our 1.0 big boards. Um, Sharif Cooper listed at 6-1 by eyeball test. Cole, what do you think he is? 5'10", 5'11", what do you think he is? Yeah, I'd say he's probably 5'11", um, but boy, is he sturdy. Like, dudes bounce off him already. It's impressive. Yeah, I actually, I kind of believe the weight, 180 pounds. I kind of believe yeah. that, to be honest. Um, yeah. But 22.3 points per game, five rebounds a game, just given his size. He's at least active in going after any kind of loose balls or those long rebounds off of missed threes. Um, the, the biggest number and probably what we're going to revolve the majority of the conversation around is the 8.7 assists per game. Uh, when, when I look at Cooper, I, I can't recall a more poised lead guard at or around his size, probably since Trey Young at Oklahoma, just in terms of his calmness, his ability to pretty much navigate to wherever he wants to on the floor, and his propensity for getting others involved first and foremost and looking for his shot second, which is crazy to say because of the 22 points per game, you would think, oh, this guy's a score-first dynamo who, because he gets himself open for shots so often, because he's constantly hunting for shots, the defense gets thrown his way all the time. And then at that point, that's when he starts dishing out assists, right? Well, that's not the case with Sharif. He is a pass-first point guard. Um, I, I saw an interesting comparison on ESPN the, the other night. They, they were trying to compare his game to, to Ja Morant. Obviously, there are stark differences between the two because of size athletic ability, et cetera. But just in terms of the mindset, the way he navigates the court and his approach to the game, his more slowed and then all of a sudden he just bursts out of nowhere style to attacking a defense. Um, what, what has really stood out to you the most about uh, Sharif Cole? What, what are some of the things you've already enjoyed seeing about his game? Yeah, I think it's really got to come down to just how laid back, but also how calculated he is in everything he does on the court. Um, there's not much he does on the court without a purpose, and so that's really great for a lead guard, in my opinion. Uh, he, I think the difference between, if you want to talk about him and Trey, is like Trey had to keep defenses honest with his shot, and Sharif hasn't necessarily proven that just yet, but he's so much more effective, I think, at moving defenses with his hesitations, his dribble, and his eyes uh, than Trey is. Not to say that Trey isn't great at those as well, but like 
Sharif's not shooting the three ball and he's still averaging the points he is and the assists he is, he's got to be doing that some other way. And so I think he's just elite at keeping defenses honest with like just, again, that laid back demeanor and then being able to boom, spring at the right moment and get you off guard and, and make the move that he needs to to either score or find his teammate. It's really something to watch. It, uh, man, like <laughs> to have this type of kid with this type of IQ and poise, like you said, dropped into dropped into our lab this way, this much through the season to to get to analyze is really awesome. He's he's a true point guard talent, uh, like we haven't seen in some time after Ja and Trey. So uh, I think he's going to be having a, a real quick impact at the league. Uh, but we do need to see him continue to flesh out some of his perimeter game as a guard in the NBA. Um, what do you think? He needs to continue to show the rest of the way. So it's funny you, you want to jump into a scoring attack, which, which I agree. The numbers don't bear out the best, right? 40% from the field overall, 18.5% from three. Obviously, a lot of those standard shot percentages do need to come up. Um, but he's shooting 80% from the free throw line on 11 attempts mm-hmm. per mm-hmm. game. That's extraordinary for someone his size being so willing to pick and choose these different spots and, and crash into the defense, but not just crash into the defense. We talked about somebody like Jalen Suggs, we think needs to be better at finding ways to, to draw fouls and kind of have a better understanding of the nuance and what it means to get to the free throw line. Sharif has that already. Yeah. Um, so, so the fact that he can put up points so efficiently, um, that, that, that doesn't necessarily speak to me that, oh my God, like he's not knocking down threes at like a 35% clip. We need to like panic about a scoring attack. No, he's finding other ways to get himself going and get himself involved in the offense. So that to me has been incredibly impressive. Um, what, what do you think about his, his blend of getting into the defense, attacking versus trying to find more ways to score from the perimeter? Because I know, and, and this is something you're probably going to talk about, Cole, um, one thing we discussed off the air is you didn't really see any kind of like floater game to him through his first few games. Then he came out and, and had a performance the other day where he was consistently looking for that floater, like just inside the free throw line. So right. as he's had more playing time and is showing more to his game, what do you think about how he's tried to balance his scoring attack overall? Yeah. So I think that he is so good at getting to the line, like we just discussed that why you know why change what's working so he's getting 11 attempts in college man that's crazy that there's guys in the nba who are good at getting fouls who don't get that many attempts and didn't even see that many attempts in college but on a per game basis so like that's a learned skill usually and he like you said he already has it and that may dip a little bit right like that could dip down to like what like as average out the season probably like just over eight like between eight to nine a game but even so even if it dips down to that like that's still really remarkable yeah, still super impressive. And then if it dips down, he's probably that's probably because he is starting to show that show more of that premier game. At least I would think so. Um, and so, like you said, he has shown it in the last game and a half or so that he has some floater and he has the ability to pull up here and there. I think it's in there. I think he just hasn't made an emphasis on his you know his regimen when he's improving his skill level in the off season. I think come this off season, that's going to be the obvious talk around his game. Uh, it already is. So the kid's probably going to go work on it, if I had to guess. I don't think he's happy with being the player he is today. So he's going to get better at those things. And he's already shown how to, he's already shown he can do them a little bit in the game. But he's so good at getting to the line and finding his teammates you know, right under the basket for open looks by just attacking the defense and crashing in uh, in smart ways that why change that? It's working for his team. 
you know, they're winning games. He's putting up numbers. Uh, it's you know, sort of like Ben Simmons. He's not going to shoot jump shots, jump shots if the team is winning. Like, it just doesn't help uh, them right now. But eventually, Cooper will have to, and I think he will. Um, I don't think he'll ever be a lead at it, per se, but it'll keep defenses honest. And, like, who cares? He's going to be so good at getting into the lane and making things happen and, and collapsing defenses that you don't need him to be an elite shooter, I don't think. Probably, like, the, the most, or, or I will say more realistic outcome for his scoring is probably somewhere around like the Rondo level of shooting. I would think where he really tries to focus a lot more on the mid range stuff. And then at some point in his career, he's going to be able to knock down threes at a relatively consistent basis. Like people forget that, that Rondo for all that he did struggle from behind the arc to start his career through his days in Boston, since he's been out of Boston, he actually hasn't been that bad of a three point shooter. So that was something that took him time to work on. But at the same time, eventually it came around. And when you blend the fact that he's even a threat from behind the three-point line or that he can do some of this stuff um, in the mid-range, when you combine that with everything else he brings to the table, his IQ, his passing ability, that's the kind of player where we're setting up Sharif to be, except I think he could be um, an even more prolific version uh, yeah, of Rondo offensively. He's going to score more. I mean, he's just got way better touch already. Rondo was not not even a 60% foul shooter in either year in college. And Sharif mm-hmm. isn't it. So I just think that lends itself to Sharif being a better jump shooter naturally than Rondo ever was and will be. And I, I see what you mean, though, for sure. Like, he's going to probably, you know, score a lot in the mid-range in the early going just because his handle will get him there and he might not have the confidence in the three-point jumper right away. But I think he's going to shoot threes and, like, knock down a couple of game eventually. I don't think that's out of the question for him. Which, speaking of handle, I, I, I haven't seen a handle on a guard as prolific as Cooper's in college probably since Kyrie Irving. That's, yeah, that, that's, that's the last time I've seen it. Yeah, he does, a, he does a couple of things where you put him in rare company. It's like you're talking about the handle with – with Kyrie, you know, some of the stuff with Trey Young, he, he's got some of the poise of Ja and honestly, even like Chris Paul. So he's in rare air when you talk about some of the other elements of his game than just scoring. And and the fact that because he has that that free throw stroke down, he has those mechanics built in that right. we're, we're talking about all these other ways where he can ultimately improve his game. Now, there's a cap to how good he can be because of his size, right? Like there's always sure. a cap to these smaller guards. But at the same time, because of his elite passing ability, control over the game, being able to make everyone around him better, if you just put him in the context of his Auburn team, if you look at Auburn before he was eligible, they were a very three-point happy team already. But a lot of those three-point shots were always being contested because they didn't have a natural table setter at the lead guard position to get everyone better looks penetrate mm-hmm. the defense, bring that magnetism together that's open. Well, now that Auburn team has that, and they are scoring at some prolific rates. Like, they, yeah, they are, they're, they're, they're starting to blow some people out. They're hitting threes in clusters now with Sharif running the show. So, yeah. And, and, and we're talking about that. Like, that kind of skill set is tailor-made to what the NBA has right. pretty much become. Like, he, he is going to be able to come in and instantly impact the team from day one, while he might not be this scoring dynamo, I think it's safe to say that through his first, like, I don't know, quarter of games in the NBA, he could probably still put up like 10 or 11 points the game because of the foul shooting, probably Mm -hmm. like anywhere between eight to nine assists, to be perfectly honest with how up and down the game is 
with how many more possessions teams are getting on offense because of the pace they're they're, they're playing at. Like that that's a reasonable stat line to expect from him from his first year. So if that's the kind of lead guard that we're talking about, having him at 16, um, you you mentioned very early on, Cole, that he's probably going to be someone that rises not only in your eyes but in the general public's eyes as more people get aware of him. Um, how high do you think? he can climb and and how much can he challenge some of those other quote unquote safer prospects who maybe don't have as high of an IQ as his, but have elite athletic ability. They have the elite size, you know, how much can some of those drawbacks in his game, how, how can he still compete with some of those other guys towards the top of our boards? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm willing to bet on, on some of the other skills coming together because of just where he is elite right now. Um, I don't think he could get top five, but I think he's fair game after seven, honestly, if like if he continues to play this way. Um, Suggs obviously has him in the size and athleticism, and Suggs is not a slouch in IQ either. I think he can learn uh, some of the deficiencies that he has in his game and, and improve on that and really be um, a two-way monster. But I don't see Cooper – yeah, I don't see Cooper edging Suggs for me. And, you know, I don't know where these guys land uh, for sure number wise on the board at the end of the at come draft time. But I, that's kind of my take on it, that Cooper won't outdo Suggs, but he's probably right there behind him. I agree. I mean, if you're, if you're going to talk about pure lead guards in this class, however you classify Cade Cunningham and then it's Suggs. <laughs> and then after those two, we're, we're, we're talking about Cooper's right there with quite literally anybody else. And, and honestly, it's crazy because his his game right now is so tailor-made for the NBA even more than it is in college. He's in the 85th percentile um, in possessions plus assists. Um, he, he's very good in, in a number of different important NBA categories, including spot-up offense. He's very good out of pick-and-roll sets. He's um, excellent in some single-coverage isolation sets, which, yeah, if they're going to spread the floor around them, he's going to have some one-on-one isos where he can utilize that handle and and some of that quick first step that that burst that he has to get around guys and then be able to create from there um he's average in total defense which is perfectly fine to me given his size and stature again we talked about this on the pod multiple times as long as he's competing i don't see that as a problem um it makes sense that he suffers in some pick and roll defensive coverages because if he gets switched on somebody that's a lot bigger than him he's not going to stop anybody right but if he's at least competing you you can pretty much take the defensive concerns away when you strip away everything he's so good at an offense it's everything that you want an nba lead guard to be good at so yeah i just i I can't say enough about the kid like he he is he has impressed me so much through the handful of games he's played and i don't know can can auburn can auburn go on a run in, in the NCAA tournament, will they make the NCAA tournament? Can they go on a run? Because that's probably like the surefire way for Sharif to solidify himself as, as maybe even as high as like number six and kind of push himself into like a top six versus a top five. Yeah, I mean, I will say that his presence is helping for, you know, Kentucky having a lackluster year in the SEC. But the SEC is going to be fun. It's going to be a different year for them. I think it's going to be led by the Sovereign team and Bama and I don't know. I hope we see them meet a couple times in, in postseason play. You haven't been on the podcast for long, but apparently you're already starting to master the art of transition um, ah. because we can transition into number 17 on my big board. I believe number 18 on your board, which would be Brandon Boston Jr., um, the 6'7 wing 
out of Kentucky. Now, if if you would have asked almost anybody in the scouting landscape at, at the like preseason and then the beginning of the year, some people had Brandon Boston as high as number two on their boards. So we're talking from two all the way down to like the 17, 18 range. And, and where we have him at this point is pretty consensus to a lot of other people. I, I've seen a few others have him um, a little lower, like getting into the twenties, but like middle of the pack, I think is where the majority has settled because they don't want to fully give up on him yet. Right now he has had some, some good performances over his last few games. One of those, he actually came off of the bench which I'm glad that Cal did that because somebody needed to light a fire under this guy's ass, right? Like when, when you look at Brandon Boston Jr. from what he's been at the start of the season up until now, even some moments now, he just looks scared. Like he, he looks like he, he's a deer in headlights out there, which is really surprising to say because his bag in terms of his shot making, the kind of moves that he has off the dribble, his one-on-one scoring package, those things he was able to showcase in high school were so advanced and they impressed me. Like when I was evaluating preseason Brandon Boston versus Jalen Green, I, I had Jalen Green higher than than Boston. I'm going to grade him out higher because of his athletic package, because of some of the things we know about him off the court, because of his overall upside because of that athletic package. But if you just break down some of those one-on-one moves and some of the things that Boston was able to do to, to high school defenses, there is a legitimate argument to be made that say, hey, Jalen Green might have more upside, but Boston has potentially a safer floor because we've seen all this evidence of things that he's able to do one-on-one. He certainly was a better spot-up shooter than he's proven to be in college up to this point. Like He just seemed as a safer prospect, especially given the unknown that we didn't know how the G League situation was going to play out for Jalen. Thank, thank God you, you texted me earlier, Cole, the, the G League's finally going to kick <laughs> off on February 10th. Yes. Pr- praise be to, to the highest powers for that. But so um, w- what are kind of your thoughts on, on Boston, Cole? Why, why do you have him at, at 18 on your board, even a little lower than me? What are some of the bigger disappointments that you've seen in his game overall? I think the biggest disappointment is that and kind of hits the nail on the head is he's just had so much trouble translating his game to the collegiate level. And with somebody with so much skill and size, you kind of, you're scratching your head as to why. Um, something that stands out to me when I watch him is that I see the dribble moves and I see his first step and they're both, everything seems a little like too slow. And I think that gets maybe magnified in the SEC and SEC play when you're going up against at least, you know, closest level of athletes you will until the G League and the NBA. But like <clears throat> he, his first step is not that explosive. I know he covers a lot of ground with his range and with the length of his stride, uh, and the you know, actually the length of his dribble moves. But that only works so much if you don't have any savvy of savvy way of setting it up, or if you're not like hitting jump shots within the rhythm of the offense to keep guys honest. So I think I think it's just like he's having trouble processing the game. It's moving a little too fast for him. Um, he's lost some confidence in his game. I think he's not as strong as he needs to be right now to get off, you know, consistent jumpers from, from range. So I think it's just a number of things that have kind of all caught up to him at once. Um, do you think the, any of those things apply or one or two, or what do you kind of see it being the issue for him right now? No, the confidence is probably the biggest thing that stands out to me or, or lack thereof, because yeah. what, what we saw it back in high school and for anybody who just wants to go on YouTube, you can find plenty of highlight tapes 
of Brandon Boston, just doing these excellent moves off the dribble, canning these long range jumpers. But that doesn't tell the whole story in terms of what his game actually entails. He's much better doing a lot of those things off the bounce when he has the confidence in the fact that he's already gone to the rim. He's already seen the ball go through the hoop a few times because he's made some easy layups, converted on some easy looks in transition. Um, that Sierra Canyon team wanted to do a lot up and down the floor. They're a heavy, um, high-paced team. So when you get to the college level and you mentioned the, that he doesn't have the greatest first step, Cole, he's already having trouble getting to the basket in general or when he's getting there because of his lack of strength, he's not seeing the ball go through the hoop. Well, that just destroys the rest of his offensive repertoire because for someone who needs to see the ball go through the hoop as much as him, it, it, it's puzzling that in a way he's not even a little more aggressive trying to get to the basket or a little more aggressive trying to draw fouls. It's almost like he he believes the fact that he's not strong enough yet to play at this level, and that being timid shows through his game way more often than it should, That to the point where he doesn't even try to, to crash into the defense a little bit, bang some bodies, and maybe get to the free throw line to even if he's not making all these layups but to at least make some free throws and just see the ball go in because he doesn't shoot a bad percentage from the free throw line he's shooting about 79 percent so it's not like he can't make free throws and it's not like that isn't an efficient way for him to score it's just i don't even think it's that he's that slow once he gets moving i honestly think he he just gives up on a play to very 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 quickly yeah, no, he's got touch. I mean, like, when he does pull up and connect on his jumpers, it's smooth as heck, and it's always a splash, it seems like. Um, I just think it's a matter of he needs a year getting stronger and, like, you know, reminded that he can do all these things. And, like, he's gonna sp- I think he's going to spend a little bit of time in the G League, and it probably will be the best thing for him because as long as the team gets him in, just bulks him up all summer, and, he, he you know, maybe he even gets a little bit more explosive. Um I think he'll he'll find out that he can do all the things that he was capable of that he should have been able to do in college. Uh, I think Cal has been working with him and, you know, trying to get him to be more aggressive going to the rim a lot the last few games. <laughs> I always hear the announcers being like, and Cal's telling him no flip shot, you know, no none of these flip <laughs> shots. I, I can't. I feel like I've heard that for the last three or four games. Oh, my God. Um, but it's true. He needs to, you know, he needs to power to the rim first, learn how to get fouled and get to the line. And when he does power to the rim, he can hang in the air, man. He levitates and he takes contact sometimes and, and finishes through it. So, like, he can do it. He just needs to get that physical confidence, I think. And I think, actually, it could unlock everything else that we know he can do. Do I ever see him being like a number one or two? No, probably not, because I think the explosiveness will never reach that type of level. But he's a he's a big wing that can shoot, score, uh, can shoot, handle, and then and dish. So, I mean, like, that's... That's attractive. So you can't rule this kid out. It's just a matter of getting his confidence back to where it needs to be, I think. Yeah, and and I'm not sure there's a quick, easy fix for this. Like, I don't think he's going to turn it around more than probably what he has begun to over these last, like, three games at Kentucky because of the things we're talking about. Like, taking time to work on your body, get a lot more comfortable in the weight room in turn, get more confident on the court because of the work you've put in the weight room. Like that's off season stuff. Yeah. No, um, he's going to be back and forth between whatever team drafts him next year. I think between the G league and getting the pro practices, he will be on the bus back and forth. Well, should he definitely even come out? Cause I've been going back and forth on this. Like we're, we're not 
under normal circumstances right now for this college season. Um, Cal definitely did not get as much time before the season started with these guys, or at least in the manner that he probably likes to um, in, in years past. And that probably did lead to him not getting the same kind of workout regimen. Like there's a bunch of different things that go into what's been going on with COVID more than just practice time on the court, right? It's also the other things that come with off the court. So if, if we were in here knowing that we were going to have much more normal of a college season next year, then I might encourage him to actually stay at Kentucky because I think if he stayed at Kentucky, but in time got that off season development plan in place and Cal was able to work with him in a second year, kind of like he would have liked to in his first year, then maybe we're seeing a different brand in Boston, the brand in Boston that we want to see. And he's still playing on that national spotlight to where maybe he can get back in the conversation of being that really high draft pick that maybe we thought he could have been from the start. Or maybe, as you probably can point out, Cole, if we're not going to be anywhere close to normalcy still for the next college season, in terms of the COVID situation, maybe it is better to put your name in the draft pool, make the jump to the NBA, whoever takes you, great. Just not necessarily worry about where you're picked, but worry about the other things that come with that and just improving your game and doing whatever's asked of you, whether that's riding the bench in the NBA or getting some time in the G League. I don't know. what, what where, where are you at right now, Cole? Do you think he should definitely leave Kentucky? Um, he's going to definitely test. I think he should consider it. Um, but there is a, a pretty good dearth of Wayne talent this draft that I wouldn't rule out hit staying being a good idea for him. Um, maybe Cal talks his freshman into staying this year. Maybe it's the right move for all of them. Askew's not ready. I mean, he hasn't shown the ability to be a draft pick in my mind just yet. So maybe he gets Askew of Boston to stay. And, and, you know, they Kentucky has a – I don't know their class for next year all that well just yet, but maybe they have an interesting blend of, of sophomore talent for once. That that's certainly the path to him getting the highest draft selection. If that's right. something he cares about, if the money's something he really cares about, right. that's his best idea is to stay in college. But not everyone wants to do that. Um, a lot of these kids coming out of the Sierra Canyon pipeline, I have a feeling that because of who plays there, they feel like they've already gotten enough exposure. They can get into these great college programs. These these college years are definitely going to be just the one of. It's a rental year, and then they're all going straight to the NBA, right? That, that's how I feel about him. That's how I definitely feel about Zaire. Zaire, I don't think, has struggled as mightily as Boston because we've seen a few more flashes of greatness from Zaire, as we talked about on that podcast, than we've seen from, from Boston, at least in terms of quantity. So, But that, that's, I think, the path that that's ultimately going to have for Boston. I think he is going to go to the NBA. I think this is probably the range where he's going to be drafted unless he has these crazy amazing workouts that we have yet to predict he'll have but yeah i think this is a pretty safe range for him and i think it's the most logical outcome unless he does surprise us and comes back to kentucky which i would like to see that i don't mind when kids go back to school if they have a game plan on what they need to work on and if they're at one of these major college powers where you know they're getting the tv exposure all eyes are going to be on them they're going to have the social media buzz everybody's talking about them their stock and rise um, in, in the public landscape, then, yeah, I don't have a problem with that. No, nah, neither do I. It, it, honestly, it's probably not as bad as – I mean, it's it could be more glamorous than 
Kentucky could certainly be more glamorous than, you know, bouncing around in the G League for a year, which Brandon might have to do if he's not physically ready to handle the NBA. 100%. 100%. Now, you just had a great segue. I think I'm about to have a good segue because we're talking <laughs> about whether you stay in college or you go to the NBA. Ayo Dosunmu is someone who has stayed in college at the University of Illinois and has made a great case for himself um, as kind of like this mid-first-round guy who can potentially climb a little higher depending on how Illinois keeps playing on the court. Um, 6'5 guard, almost 22 points per game, 6 rebounds per game, 5 assists per game. Um, slash line's not bad at all, 49% for the field, 38.5% for three, 81.5% for the free throw line. Um, he doesn't take a lot of threes. He's only taking 3.5 per game as opposed to the almost 13 shots he's taking from inside the arc. So, Cole, when, when you look at Ayo Desunmu, I guess, like, the biggest question is how much of a point guard is he, right? How much of a table setter is he? Now, he certainly is this team's point guard. His usage rate, 30.6, that speaks to the fact that he's handling the majority of their possessions when he's on the yeah. floor in that lead guard spot. Um, he, he's been efficient in a lot of areas scoring the ball, but, man, he can, he can be a turnover machine sometimes. And, and that takes away from some of the gifts he might have as a table setter. So what are the, what are the things you've noticed from the Sunmu Cole? Um, how, how do you think he balances scoring versus setting everyone else up around him? So I think he's gotten better, better at it over the three years he's been in Illinois, um, you know, just as evidenced by the stats as well. But to me, he reminds me of what Shake Milton's role for SMU was in college. He was kind of just this, he was, you know, above average size for college at the guard position, 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. And he was kind of their de facto point guard because he had the best handle on the team and could get anywhere on the court he wanted to to not only get his offense, but, of course, collapse the defense and then kick to other shooters or dish off as needed. So I think I don't think he is a true point guard at the next level. I think if you're expecting that, you're going to you know be hurting on this kid a little bit. Um, but I definitely think he has the chops to play a secondary playmaking role um, in the league. Uh, and I'll point to his efficiency as a um, pick-and-roll guy in college on Synergy. He rates out very highly in pick-and-roll offense as a ball handler. So I think, you know, you get him on the wing, you get him in some secondary uh, playmaking options on the wing, and he's really going to go to town, especially since he does have a pretty good handle, and he is 6'5", and he can score in a number of ways once he gets, you know, once he gets downhill. Um, he can shoot over the top of his defender with a nice floater. He's got some weird runner stuff that he can get to. I don't know. I think he's a he's a unique guard, but he's not like a, a surefire starter on every team. So you definitely have to be drafting him with that in mind. I was literally just going to ask that question. You beat me right to the punch <laughs> because I don't see him as a starting guard in the NBA because I think if he's going to start, that would mean that you believe in him as a primary initiator. You believe in him playing that point guard spot and kind of having his way running the offense and doing what he does with the ball in his hands because when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, he's not nearly as active as he should be. And the numbers bear out that if you look at all of those metrics that we can look at for him in like off-ball play types, he doesn't rate out good at all. Right. Um, you, you wouldn't necessarily expect him to be this amazing spot-up shooter. That is something he's gotten better at especially in this third year through his first few games, he, he was canning looks from three off the catch like crazy. Um, but that's kind of cooled off a little bit, but everything else, like he's not active cutting to the basket. He, he's not really somebody that you want 
just doing all this stuff off the ball. So I, I wouldn't necessarily say that he can start or he should be a starter at like a two guard spot. I don't think he's ultimately big enough to play like at a three spot long term or, or like full time. So I think that he is best suited coming off of the bench in like a combo guard role. It's funny you mentioned Shake. I didn't even think about Shake Milton for him, but that's actually a really good comparison because well it's just a little more athletic but yeah yeah and and while shake hasn't been able to start a ton of games for the sixers he's certainly gotten the minutes Mm -hmm. and when he's had the minutes he's had some really interesting scoring outputs um and and he's not a bad table setter himself so um what what do so do you definitely think that you should be drafting him as like this bench player right? Like that's, you kind of see him as like the third guard, one of the first guys in the game. Or do you think that as a point guard, he might have starter upside down the road if there's enough things for him to improve on? So, I mean, yeah, I guess if he clicks as a point guard, I just don't ever see that happening. I don't think he reads the game as a point guard enough. Um, I do think he could start just being a shooting guard though. I mean, there's all kinds of lineups in the NBA and positionless basketball is abound. I mean, why couldn't he start next to LaMelo per se? I mean, like LaMelo's going to have the ball in his hands, but when he doesn't, like he could run pick and roll with whoever else is on the court with PJ and Miles and whoever and score and take some of that scoring load off LaMelo who doesn't have like, you know, a 1A scoring uh, package just yet. I think there's a number of teams he could he could start on. Just it's a little bit, you kind of have to squint to see it. And it's not exactly um, like some of the other guys we've talked about where like, yeah, you could just drop this guy in and he's going to fit on any kind of starting lineup. It's know. funny. It's funny that you mentioned Charlotte because who who plays the most next to Lamelo right now would be Terry Rozier, um, right. who who is an example of someone who's not quite a point guard. He's that size, but he's better as an off guard. Mm-hmm. Um, but Rozier, for for what it's worth, has become an absolute flamethrower from three. Yeah. I, I I haven't I I didn't see that happening. I, I never thought he'd get to the prolific point where he's at to the point where pretty much every time he gets an open look from the corner, it's going in. And, and, yeah. and I can't believe that that's the outcome that we got from Rogier. props to him. He's earning every single penny of that contract that some people said at the time, well, he, they were overpaying for him. What was it like some, somewhere in the realm of like three years, 51 million, right? Yeah. Was, well, last, some, last year was brutal, but this year he's been much better. But this year, yeah, he's, he's been a lot more consistent, certainly has looked the better part of an off guard next to LaMelo than Devonte Graham, who, for, for for how Devontae Graham rose last year, he's certainly come crashing back down a little bit, right? Yes. Um, so if I would make the comparison to that, I'm much more comfortable with where Rogier's at shooting the ball. But at the same time, if the Sumu is put in that role and he's just asked to take a lot more like spot up threes and he's asked to, to work on that as a priority versus all the stuff that you would have to do on ball as like a point guard, then mm-hmm. maybe he can take that leap and bring that three-point percentage up to where it is right now in college, like 38 39%, and maybe that's a workable trade for him, and then you can play him or feel more comfortable playing him a lot more off the ball to complement a point guard who doesn't necessarily have it all together on the defensive end either, because that is a selling point for Desumu, is that yeah. all of his defensive mat- metrics rate out like excellently, right? Like he's very good right. to excellent pretty much everywhere. So right. if you look at him from that perspective – then you start to see more of the case for him being an off guard. I don't know. He he's played point guard pretty much his whole time at Illinois. So 
I wasn't really looking at that as maybe like a reasonable outcome or something that he necessarily wants to do. But if he's asked to do it and he's able to make a lot of money doing it, maybe that's a transition he makes. Yeah. No, I just, I couldn't get ready for this. I couldn't shake the feeling of just watching like shake <laughs> 2.0 just in terms of role, like really just being asked to be the point guard when he's not one. Um, so I think if you ask, if you take some of that responsibility off him in the league and you tell him, hey, go score your buckets, get guys involved when you can, like, I think you see the real version of the sumo. And it's a nice player. It's a nice player. He's 100% somebody that I could have, like, graded out to a spot like here. And we could look back, like, halfway through his rookie season or maybe all the way through his rookie season. And we just look at ourselves and go, damn, why do we have him so low? Right. right? Is there, like, but, I mean what's some of the right tail outcomes for him? Like Malcolm Brogdon? Like, is he that? Could that happen? I don't know if he's as prolific of, of a playmaker right. as Malcolm because he is, he's had plenty of games where he is a turnover machine. If he can limit the amount of turnovers, then I think that could be like a high ceiling outcome for him. I don't know. I like the shake. I, yeah. I, I like the shake comparison. That probably is like his most realistic scenario if everything breaks right for him. So um we you and i both love shake milton so that means we're certainly <laughs> going to be rooting for io the sumo so we we wish the best of luck to him and this definitely won't be the last time that we're talking about him mm-hmm. um moving on past him was a guy that you and i have touched on at times you're actually putting him here firmly in your first round i don't know if i'm quite there yet i suppose we'll leave a little teaser for the audience to see 21 mm-hmm. through 30 where do i put him but marcus bagley on Arizona State, Cole, I, I want you to actually lead off and, and give us your best impressions about Bagley because I think that you have a better feel on him ultimately than I do, and we'll see how I want to respond to to your case for having Bagley this high. Sure. Bagley is uh, Bagley's not the one where you want to scout the stat line because if you just do that, you're going to come away probably unimpressed and asking whoever told you to go look at this kid, asking them why they asked you to do that. So with Bagley, you really need to go watch um, the game. I think, I think if you do that, you'll see that he's got one of the best shooting strokes for all of freshmen. And then you couple in the fact that he's 6'8 and 220 or 230, whatever it is, at his size. Um, just how fluid and repeatable his shooting stroke is already for that size is really impressive to me. Um, so I can't, I can't discount that at all. And then the way he also gets himself open at that size uh, is also so impressive. So he's working off screens at six eight and at and two thirty uh, with ease. He makes it. He makes it look fluid. He makes it look like he's you know a two guard out there doing it, and he squares up to the basket perfectly, and he gets a shot off with a high release. And it's usually a feathery touch. I mean, he's not missing horribly. Uh, he's got good misses, and and when he does make it, it's usually a splash. Uh, so I think he's one of the best shooters out there for freshmen. Um, it might not jump off off the page at you just looking at the stats, but again, if you just watch him and, and see the, the size that he is and the way he gets off his shot, uh, I think it's really impressive, and not many other guys can do that um, at his age. So I think that, coupled with his also defensive ability, gives him the floor to stick in the first round. Uh, maybe I have him a little too high based off some of the limitations uh, in his offensive game elsewhere, which I'll let you get into. But oh, I, I can't say that you do. We 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 were talking about Jeremy Wu had him number twelve in a recent mock draft, so uh, I don't think I, you do have him too high. Sure, uh, but yeah, I think I think like silently he's kind of the defensive anchor on Arizona State. I don't know if he's calling out everything, but he's definitely the most vocal in terms of switches, 
Um, he's always on time. I think he carries a lot of the responsibility down low, protecting the rim for this team. Um, he's not a huge shot blocker by any means, and nor should he be. Uh, that's just not who he is. But he's got the wherewithal to guard one through four and probably five at the collegiate level and switch. Like He's, he's just never not on time with his switches. I think the guy is really sound defensively. Um, he reads passing lanes well. He's really long, so he's going to – you know, he's going to rack up deflections, which is, you know, a really interesting stat in the NBA that teams like. So I think when you, you kind of, it's, it's more of a sum is uh, the, the sum of the parts is, is greater here than the individual skills for this guy. But even then, like he's a really good shooter and he's going to space the floor from, from jump. And then he, he can rebound, man. He's been getting on the glass a little bit more with each passing game. I think like, I think we're starting to see him show more of that game just because he knows he needs to show more of it. And uh, he just wasn't healthy for the first part of a little bit of the season, too. So as he's getting more minutes, we're seeing more of his game come out. Um, but, yeah, let me know what you think about him in regards to, like, his lack of creativity within the arc. I, yeah, I don't really have a ton to add to the evaluation overall. I think you hit on the majority of the strong points. What I will say is that you, the scoring inside the arc is bad. <laughs> it, 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 it's bad. I, I don't think his handle is that great. I don't think he really has a pathway to being much more creative than what he is. I, I think you, you mentioned a lot of interesting defensive points. Um, and, and, and when I'm evaluating Bagley, I'm not always necessarily looking at how well he defends other people, but because of his six, eight size, he's got a good body on him. He's got great bloodlines. He, he's going to be a physical player, right? So that means that he could potentially guard three, four, depending on the lineup five. And, and that's a useful player to have on the floor regardless. So defense aside, if we're looking at his offense, I see him as a specialist. I think he's I, I think he's a specialist. I don't think there's much more there to his game. And the reason why I question having him maybe as high as you do or as as high as I've seen him in mock drafts, like the Jeremy Wu example I pointed out, is he that prolific of a specialist to the point where he's worth being drafted? this high in the first round. Now, if you want to couple that defensive argument together with the different ways that he's able to shoot from beyond the arc, yeah, depending on the other role players you might have access to at this point of the draft, maybe that makes him worth taking here. Um, I just, I don't have the answer to that question yet if he's as prolific of a specialist as I think I need to see from him. I don't know what, what your thoughts are on the specialist point. Yeah, no, I think he, he definitely probably settles into a specialist role in the NBA. Um, maybe he's not performing at the level you'd like to see him because Arizona State doesn't have a, you know, a bunch of passing savants on the team. It's, just, it's kind of a selfish team. Uh, a lot of guys kind of get in their own offense and then you know, kicking the ball out when they absolutely have to rather than moving the ball consistently. Um, so I think you get him on a team that you know, favors his type of off-ball movement and you might see a much better shooter. Um, you know, like I, I pointed out to you before the podcast, and I'll point out to our lovely, lovely listeners, is that this guy is, a, is in the 93rd percentile overall on catch-and-shoot jumpers when he's guarded. And that's on 30 possessions overall, so it's not like it's a small number. Um, so this kid with a hand in his face is nails, and I think that's something you got to really like. Um, he's going to come into the NBA, like you said. He's going to be ready to bang. I think he's got one of the more impressive physiques already. Uh, and you get this kid, you know, working out in the offseason, he's going to come back in summer league, and we're going to be like, holy shit, like, this dude is ripped, I think, at least. And, uh, yeah, you just, I think you factor in the three-point shooting, and the defense, like I said, like, he's just going to be a responsible, sound defender. 
And I think he does enough off ball that like, again, like his, his teammates don't find him. I, I pointed out to you when we've watched Arizona state a couple of times, like he's cut back door, like a number of times for an open lob and his teammates just don't get him the ball and, or just other cuts. Like they just don't see it or they don't know how to uh, pass over the top of the defense. So I think, I think he's smart enough to read and catch defenders sleeping. It's not like it's, it's somewhat of bankable offense in the league, but it's not like super bankable offense. So I don't think, like you said, he's never going to be great within the arc, but I do think he has the ability to like find offense in other ways. And between the shooting and his defense, I think he does stick um, in some kind of role pretty early and very long in his career. What do you think about his finishing? Because he has puzzled me. Like I I pointed out about how I I don't think he, I, I don't really buy the handle. Obviously he's not like, like a, like a wiggly, type athlete when he has the ball in his hands moving around the court but it's not like he doesn't have touch you can't be that prolific of a shooter potentially from outside and and not have the kind of touch you need to convert on looks inside the arc and and we can look at his free throw number isn't like the the best but at the same time like I just I don't what do you what do you see about his finishing why do you think he struggles as much around the basket as he does is he trying to force things too much is he trying to convert too many looks um, through like bigger guys or like plowing the like two or three defenders at a time who's trying to finish the basket. Well, what have you seen? What do you think it is? Cause I can't necessarily put my finger on one thing that's definitely like hindering him. Yeah. It almost seems like he's just trying to do too much and like be a little too fancy when rather than just be six, eight and like go up and use your size and just finish and, and get contact. Um, I don't know. I, I would have to go back and, and try and watch his drives a little bit more to understand what he's, what he's lacking on to try and put my finger on it too. But I just think it's a matter of like he's he's probably used to being a freight train to some extent too, and just running down the court and not having guys get in his way a little bit at, at that size. So I think the thing I think the finer points of, of improving his handle will come. He'll never be a you know you know pass above average in that department. But like you said, he's got the bloodlines. He's going to work on his game. I think some of these other areas where he's really not efficient in or he's he's pretty deficient in, deficient in right now i think they will come along enough to give him a pretty well-rounded game but the floor is three and d all the way right now which is a floor that everybody in the nba and their grandmother looks for so exactly he there 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 is absolutely a case to be made for him so moving past bagley um he was 19 on your board i had Jaden springer 19 on my board who's 20 on yours mm-hmm. um now I actually like Jaden Springer more than I did Keon Johnson in terms of comparing the two Tennessee recruits just coming into the college season. When I watched Jaden Springer back in high school, he was this bouncy, big combo guard who certainly knew how to put the ball in the basket, was tough as nails defensively. And to an extent, that's translated. Now, both him and Keon, we, we talked about this with Keon, they both come off the bench um, and, and for, for behind some other veterans at Tennessee. Um, and he's had a much more limited role within the offense. He's been asked to make some catch-and-shoot threes. When he does some stuff off the dribble, it's it's very simple drives at the basket. He's not doing a ton of playmaking, but he's not asked to do a ton of playmaking. Um, Rick Barnes has kept the game very simple for him. And I'm not quite sure that's the best litmus test for a guy who definitely has, like, potentially major talent. Um, but if we're not able to see that talent expended more and we're seeing him cooped up in this more limited role, it makes our evaluation a little more tough and why I have him lower right now 
but eventually, who knows, he could rise to where he's actually rising among a lot of consensus boards. I'm seeing him in the top 10 on a lot of different boards, Cole. And, and, and for good reason, just going back to some of the high school stuff that I pointed out. So what, what have you been able to see from his shot making up to this point? What have you thought about the little bit of playmaking that he's done? And, and do you think that um, he's playing more into his strengths at, at Tennessee, and that's why we haven't seen him do like this wide variety of things? Or do you think that it's honestly his coaching staff, like, look, we have this game plan, we're going to use these players and these actions, and this is just how you're going to play basketball? I think it is a little bit of the coach and the game plan here. So, I mean, he's got a, he's good at a lot of different things, and the coaching staff in Tennessee has gotten pretty good in the last few years. They probably identified, like, hey, like, we need you to do these few good things that you're good at because everybody else is – we got these other guys who are a little older than you, and we're going to have them do some of the other things that you're good at but not great at just yet. But he's a very well-rounded basketball player. He's super intelligent. I think when he comes in, I think when both he and Keon come in for Tennessee, like, you know, the team hits a different gear, especially for him. Um, and that was evident when he was out. I think he was out a game not all that long ago, and, and the backup unit really struggled uh, as a result. He's got incredible touch when he does pull up for his mid-range J. Um, I think I'd like to see him shoot threes a little bit more, but I, it sucks. Yeah, it, it kind of sucks to see him cooped up in this system because I think he does have a, a really well-rounded game, and I think he's got some creativity that he just doesn't get to show right now. Um, it's almost like Jared Butler freshman year at Baylor not getting to show everything, and J- Jaden Springer needs like two more years at Tennessee to be like, hey, guys, like, no, I have all this in my bag too. Like, Don't forget. Um, but he's getting to show it a little bit here and there, and Tennessee's going to make a very deep run, um, also adding into the SEC picture. And hopefully we get to see more of it uh, as, as the games go on here. Um, what do you think is kind of holding him back within Tennessee? Is it is the coaching staff? Is it maybe he doesn't have as much of a well-rounded game? Or you know, what do you think? Well, it, at certain points throughout the game, I don't think he looks as quick on mm-hmm. the college floor as he did the high school floor. And I think that that lack of like an elite first step can okay. definitely hold him back at times but when he gets going I, he's listed at 6'4 204 pounds he could very well be a little bigger than that weight wise like he is a big kid um yeah. so so when you get him on the move he's not somebody who's easy to stop right in front of you right so i think there's definitely more to be explored from a creativity standpoint off the dribble I I guess my main thought and what I keep coming back to about this kid is we usually have the cooped up guard prospect at Kentucky. At least this one stayed at home in the SEC with with Hmm. Tennessee. But is is he the next like Devin Booker type, Emmanuel Quickly type, Tyrese Maxey type cooped up guard who doesn't get to showcase everything he can do at the college level, but he's going to come in the NBA and he's just the next guy in line where everyone's like, shit, why didn't we have this guy ranked higher? Why didn't we draft him higher? Like, is, is he this draft class guy? Because the more and more I watch him, the more and more I think about it, I think he actually is. It's totally possible because you have to factor in, like I said, he's he's super smart. He shows great touch, which I think, you know, if you have great touch as a guard, that kind of just supersedes itself all over the floor. Like, I think that just works anywhere. Um, and then we haven't even discussed that he doesn't turn 19 until the fall. And so like with some of these other guys you talked about, they were generally pretty young for their class, like Booker, especially. Um, Yeah. So like we can't rule out that this kid with a little bit more physical maturity gets that explosiveness that he needs. And then he becomes this monster that, you know, is 
makes sense because he has the, the feel and the IQ for the game and he processes it at a high level already. So, yeah, I, I think we're just kind of like everything's there in place except that elite level athleticism. And, and maybe that doesn't even matter with him. We just need to see him outside of the system. But like, I think that's we just need to see him outside of Tennessee at this point. The two the two last important things that I'll bring up about him are while he doesn't have the same defensive upside as Keon Johnson, this kid's also a hound. Like let, yes. let's not lose sight of that too. Like he can body somebody up one on one and he can guard the man in front of him. And that's very important to have in your bag when you're kind of like looked at as this three and D type guard to start your career. But if you do have more then defense is certainly the way to keep you on the floor and letting you explore more of your offensive game. So that's that's definitely an important thing for him to have. I I, I guess the 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 other thing that I'll say is that he's he's so efficient in in the little role that he has. Mm-hmm. Do you do you think that it, it's tough because a Devin Booker like he was in at times an even more limited role than what Jaden Springer has. But you see, even when Jaden Springer hasn't been on the court for Tennessee, like that team just totally obliterates for whatever reason offensively. And Mm -hmm. it's not like that they don't have good pieces around or more veteran pieces to kind of make up for what a bench player, right. Isn't potentially bringing to the table, but what, what, what do you notice from like his impact on the game offensively? And like, do you think that, there is this like prolific score just like waiting to be born at some point, even this season, not necessarily just like waiting on in to, to get to the NBA or like, what am I missing about his impact offensively that like when he's not on the court, like his whole team just like tanks out. I think it just comes down to like, yeah, he's so efficient in his one role and the defense has to plan for that. And like his coaching staff knows that, that he has this other game, but, man, he can just execute this part of his game so well, so well right now that we don't need to change that. And it stems from him processing the game at a really high level, which I think you would agree that Devin Booker does and why he's been mm-hmm. able to play like point guard uh, a lot of his career so far until the addition of Rubio last year and then, you know, CP3 this year, obviously. And I think we could see say the same things for Jaden. Like, he could probably play some point if he really needs to. And maybe he does, you know, take the one as a combo type in the NBA if the scoring really does come out like we kind of think it might. Um, but I think it's just a matter of every decision he makes. And Keon is like this too, um, not to the same extent, but definitely to a similar extent. They just make great decisions and they move the ball. They attack when they need to. They're, they're just NBA wings and they already know, like, you know, they just know when to make the right decisions. And I think that's why, you see their offense uh, reach another level when he's on the court with their starters. I know I was just hesitating, but I guess in my head while I heard you talking, I, I think I probably answered my own question, and I'm glad <laughs> that you brought up Keon because when, when you look at Keon's offensive game and some of the playmaking that stems from it, it is. It's, it's a lot of quick decisions, but he's not moving all around the court with the ball. He's getting the ball, seeing where he needs to put it, and then he just yep. moves it, right? Jaden, on the other hand, is much more creative of a ball handler, and I guess – why does the team tank when he's not on the court where he he's he's the best ball handler on, on his team? I yeah. guess that's probably the simplest enough answer as to why he's so valuable to that Tennessee squad. He is the main guy that can go and create his own shot. And he hasn't had to do that. He hasn't been asked to do that. But if he starts doing it more, 
If Barnes gives him even more offensive freedom, then I'd be really curious to see what kind of stat lines this kid can put up. He's had a few nice outbursts, um, but 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 a lot of it's mainly just been controlled on e- efficient shooting numbers. Like like I pointed out on our statue here, only 20 minutes per game. So if that right. jumps up to like 30, 32 minutes and he takes over more of that starting role, him and Keon have been starting a few games, but if they get the minutes to back that up, man, this Tennessee team could be really scary come, come tournament time. And by the way, for everyone out there, we're recording this on Thursday the 28th. We have a great matchup on Saturday. We get Tennessee against Kansas right at that 6 p.m. Eastern time slot. You know that I'm going to have my eyes on that game because I want to see what this kid could do against that impressive Kansas defense. Kansas might not be the best team scoring the basketball. They're not the most complete offensive team, but you know that Bill Self's going to have them ready to play defense, especially against um, this Tennessee squad. So I can't wait for that one. I th- I think with this Tennessee team and, and Jaden and Keon specifically, I think we kind of might just see it happen naturally for these two over the rest of the way that, um, you know, as teams play games, you get scouted and you have to change and make adjustments throughout the year. And the adjustments might be for Tennessee that they just give more responsibility to these two freshmen who can clearly, I think, clearly handle it. Uh, and then we might we might be talking about them in a whole new light come come March Madness. Springer could potentially be like a top 10 guy. How, right. how a lot of people are starting to move him and he can move above Keon that at this point. You you definitely like Keon like firmly more than than Jaden, or has Jaden really opened up that conversation in your eyes? Uh, I think the conversation's definitely open. Um, I know there's been movement on my board since we started recording all these, just because we've had some of this set in stone, and there's been games set. So I don't know. Things are all over the place right now. Still, I flipped. I I literally have Keon ahead of Jaden on this board, but preseason, like I said, I like Jaden a lot more. I I like I never flip like that. So. Yeah. That's probably a sign to Nate, like, hit yourself in the head really quick, wake up, have, have Jaden ahead of Keon. But well, what, what can you do, right? We're only so far into the season at this point. So moving on, our last guy that we're going to talk about this week is somebody who you don't have in your 16 through 20, Cole, but I do. I have Usman Garuba, um, the 6'8 forward who has been playing for Real Madrid in the ACB League as well as in the Euro League. Um, Kind of like your your classic 6'8", bruiser body type, do it on the boards, be efficient in pick and roll actions, get some offensive putbacks, some, some easy dunks. Doesn't really have a lot of versatility to his offensive game. He started to knock down more three-point shots of late, and that's been a skill that he's been trying to work on for, for a while now. But I don't love the the touch of the ball off his hands. I think he shoots a flat ball. So that's certainly going to present its own level of challenge when he's coming into the NBA, kind of like how Dario Saric had such a flat shot when he was first um, in the league with the Sixers. Eventually, um, through bouncing around through a few teams, he learned himself that that was something that he had to work on, right? He had to put a little more arc on that ball. And it's not perfect, but it's gotten better certainly as it's been as he's been through the league but that's something that you get to watch out for with with garuba um he doesn't have a ton of playmaking upside but at the same time while he's not like this creator he's proven that when he gets caught in like a double team or something like that he can whip the ball out really quick and and avoid that turnover um I, i guess like the main intrigue for him is that what he does he's incredibly efficient at doing so 
around the basket. He's a hound on the boards. And given his athleticism, given his 6'8 size, the little bit of bounce that he had, but also his, his natural girth, he, he's a house inside. And you're not scoring over him very easily. Um, he's going to contest a lot of shots. He, he can even step out and, and make, a, make a play away from the basket at times. Uh, because he's a heads-up player, I, I think his basketball IQ actually isn't that bad. Um, and, and I think it's only going to get better as he keeps getting playing time. So, um, Cole, I know you haven't seen a lot of Garuba. I wanted to give the the, the main uh, first impression evaluation on him so far. But what are, like, one or two of the things that, that you've been able to take away from watching some of his film? Yeah, I, I think it, you have to take note of the physicality that the guy has. Um, it's really impressive both in girth, length, size. Um, to me, he just screams like modern undersized five. Um, he's six, eight, but he's super long and has the bounce to protect the rim and, and also the, um, the, the body to hold up against some of the bigger guys in the league. Uh, whether you want him doing that on a starter basis, I don't know because he doesn't really provide a ton of offense. And I don't think while he reads the game, you know, at a, at a pretty good level, uh, I don't think you want to overload him with offensive responsibility. I think that's when he, you might slow him down and take away from what he really does on the defensive end. Um, but yeah, no, he's, he's a, he's a lunch pail guy. He's going to work hard. He's going to always be looking to improve any way he can. I don't know how fast it happens for him. Like you mentioned, he's been working on getting better at a three point stroke for a while now. So you have to wonder, you know, how good is, how good is his improvement rate? Um, so I think he's, he's good at the things he does. Like, like you said, he chews up glass. Uh, he's a good passer within the offense. He can hit, timing passes i think with pretty good touch uh he can step out and hit a three i think he will get better at that that should only get better coming over here um no, i think he's an interesting player but he's gonna he's gonna have to find the right team i, I don't think there's a lot to dream on with him and that, therefore that's why i had him outside my top 20 right now which is fine that's absolutely reasonable and he is a guy who has different outcomes like i mentioned you if he's someone we're looking back and he maybe isn't as versatile as someone might be drafting him to be when you're talking about like a potential top 20 guy in terms of hitting the shot a lot more frequently, doing some more perimeter oriented things as that six, eight, like stretch five, big man. If he is what he is, but he's like a consistent 14 and eight every night, then you can talk yourself into, okay, well, this guy was potentially worth that draft pick because he's a valuable role player for us. Someone who could come off the bench, be an enforcer and, and, and give us production in, in while not a wide variety of ways, enough ways, right? Kind of like what Xavier Tillman's doing at uh, for for the Memphis Grizzlies out of Michigan mm -hmm. State. Now, I think Tillman is a better basketball player overall, and he's probably yes. going to win that battle through throughout yep. both of their careers. But just in terms of the role and what you might look for production wise, I think that that's probably what you would try to emulate for Garuba when you're first bringing him into the league. And then at that point, you're seeing how he could possibly branch out his offensive game. Do you think that's, um, do you think Tillman is like a ceiling for Garuba or is it closer to what a floor for him could be? I'm assuming you would say that's more of a ceiling for him because you're not as high on him at this point as I am. I would say it's definitely a ceiling regardless of where I am, just because I think Tillman's, just a way better shooter uh, mid-range and three-point I know the number doesn't bear it out in the league but you go back to his last year in college and I think the guy shot 50 40 90 and was you know pumping numbers across the board so I just think the all-around game for Tillman is, is a lot better like you can actually run some offense through him um, have him dribble a little bit and find some cut like you know 
dribble from the wing to the elbow and hit, have him hit a backdoor cutter. Like, I don't think Garuba's going to be doing stuff like that too much. Like, you just mm-hmm. want him to make the next pass. Um, that said, I think, you know, you and I talked about the other name where we thought he, you know, we thought fit in here was uh, Gershon Yuvaselli from a few years back from Boston. Um, we think he's not going to flame out like Yuvaselli did just because he's a little bit more leaner and athletic uh, and just kind of looks the part as, in terms of being an undersized uh, five. I just think like he kind of reminds me body wise of OG a little bit. Like he's sort of that six, eight type build, but he's nowhere near like the perimeter threat at OG, that OG was at that age. So I just have a hard time seeing him really add on that level of game uh, as the years go by. Yeah. There's a variety of outcomes for him. And, and that's what makes him a little more of a dangerous play when you're talking about like a top 20 pick. Um, since we brought him up, what I will say about Tillman is that, by the way, that guy has already impressed me and has outperformed. Um, I had him as like a priority, like early second round target. Not nah, screw that. He should have been in the first round period. Yeah. Um, e- even if he doesn't end up being more than what he is now, um, he, he has proven that I, I, I labeled him as like this enforcer type who is going to be a hound in the glass. He's going to give you defense around the basket, but I really didn't see much of the versatility away from the basket other than like maybe like doing some fun stuff in the pick and roll or like a little bit of like a dribble handoff game but yeah he's hitting jumpers he's doing things from the perimeter he's creating a little bit like Tillman he's locking, put, go ahead he's locking he's locking guys up on the perimeter too man I, right before memphis had the you know this whole postponement slew of games being postponed he they were playing phoenix he was D'ing up Chris Paul in the fourth quarter and, like, swiping him a couple different times. Did you see that stuff from him in Michigan State, though? Because, like, I didn't. I didn't no. see that he could do that stuff. No, I didn't either. So to, to say I saw it coming is, is, you know, would be false. But, like, yeah, I mean, like, it looks real right now. And I know Chris Paul is beyond his years at this point. But still, like, Tillman's a rook. Chris Paul's a wily vet. So, uh, yeah, no, and I think Ruba can get to that point, too, where he's out on the perimeter locking guys up here and there. Um so, and there's nothing wrong with the, like, there's still a need for enforcers in the NBA. You just have to have some kind of skill level. You just can't be, I, yeah. I, you can't be Ed Davis. I don't know how Ed Davis still has a job anymore. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, it's about a balance, right? And it's also about, okay, well, if you know that this guy is this, how high of a draft pick do you want to invest in him? So right. that's really the main question we're asking about Garuba. We're not saying uh, whether he is an NBA player or not. We're not asking that question. You and I both think he is. It's just mm-hmm. how high of a draft pick do you use on someone like that? Um, yeah. But yeah, prop, props to Xavier Tillman. Like I, I love watching that Grizzlies team. He's fun to watch. Like, He's great. It, it's another reminder for us scouts out there who aren't working directly with a team and we aren't getting these guys in workouts and seeing them that up close during the pre-draft process, um, working with a lot of different guys in these front offices who know what kind of drills to conduct what things they're looking for as far as NBA fit and what these guys need to come in and do right away from day one. We're not there for those workouts. We're not seeing all those things. So um, there's only so much that the film can tell you if the guy's only asked to do so much and he's not able to showcase some of those other things in college. It's why we're going to go back and forth on somebody like um, a Garuba, especially somebody like Garuba who's overseas and we're not seeing him up close every day. Um, Mm -hmm. A Jane Springer who we're not going to really be there in in, in NBA workouts and we're not going to see – some of those other things that NBA teams might ask them to unlock for a workout or two. We're not going to see these things. We only have the tape um, and what we can hear from some of these people, like, like other, other scouts and executives that you and I might be able to talk to, um, other scouts that we might be able to, to talk to on our end. But that's all we got. 
So some of these evaluations are a little harder. It's just a friendly reminder of that, that if you and I get some things wrong or, or these guys are doing things at an NBA level that you and I didn't talk about in their evaluations, it's not that we didn't do our homework. We just maybe not, maybe we didn't have to. We didn't get all the study materials. Yeah. Exactly. So <laughs> it, it is what it is sometimes, but that's what makes the draft process so much fun too. That's what makes all these guys rookie years and sophomore years and third years so much fun too. It's why you can't, you can never stop watching the NBA because the, right. these kids will pull things out of their bags that you didn't even know were in there. So yeah. That's going to that's gonna wrap up the, the episode for this week. Again, thank you all so much for listening to this podcast. The support has been overwhelming. We're, we're, we're breaking some, some new records on, yeah. on social media, some humble records, but records nonetheless. Um, our, our, our viewership has been up. Our subscriptions have been up across the board. So um, join those people who have been helping us climb. If you haven't subscribed already, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you like to listen to your podcasts, Follow us on Twitter, at Draft Deeper. Like our Facebook page. We always have conversations going. And if you didn't see the social media this week, I made a big announcement. <laughs> DraftDeeper.com is going to be operational next week. So whether it is Monday, February 2nd, or uh, Monday, February 1st, excuse me, my actual birthday. Can't believe I mixed yeah. that one up. Or Tuesday, February 2nd, one of those two days, that website's going to be live. We're going to start getting some profiles up there, full profiles on these guys, and we're going to be updating that website throughout the season, throughout the pre-draft process. So you can expect written content, more fleshed out content, finally, from both Cole and I. So we thank you so much for all of your support that you've given us to help us get to that point and, and realize that dream. I promised you for months more <laughs> content was coming we're finally delivering on that process. So I can't wait. Look out for all those links when they go live on social media. And I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you so much.